Hi, I'm Jeff Cohen, and I could not be more excited to be launching our brand new podcast, Saturday to Shabbos, Inspiring Jewish Journeys. You might be wondering who I am and why I'm hosting this podcast. It really has to do with where I began and where I am now. I myself did not have the privilege of growing up observant. Now I am, and I'm so excited to bring to everybody all these stories of other folks who've been on their own journeys so we can learn about how they got to where they are today, some of the obstacles they overcame, and why they're so inspired to join us and tell their stories. I grew up in New City, New York, not to be confused with New York City. New City is in Rockland County. And actually, it's a very Jewish place, but it's conservative Jewish. So most of the friends I had were Jewish, in fact, but conservative. I can sum up my Jewish experience growing up with the following. We dipped apples and honey for Rosh Hashanah. My sister and I always got our eight gifts for Hanukkah. And we had a modified Pesach Seder. Now, those of you who are observant know that there's typically two Seders that will run all the way till one or two in the morning. In my family, the Seder was one night, done completely in English, but it was really an opportunity to work through the steps and learn the meaning of Pesach and have some matzah and still get to bed by 11 o'clock. I will also point out that I did have a bar mitzvah, but the only reason I got there is because my father hired a private tutor who taught me transliterated Hebrew so I could stand on stage like my friends and have the same experience that they were having. When I was growing up, I did not know what I did not know about being Jewish and the levels of observance. Most of my friends were doing similar to what I was doing. Some did go to shul, my family did not. But other than that slight difference, everything felt normal to me and I didn't even realize there were other options. So it turns out that literally five minutes from my house was a town called Muncie, which was also very Jewish, but New City was conservative Jewish. Muncie was Orthodox, and there would be times growing up where we would shop in Muncie or go to one of the restaurants there, and I would see these men dressed in all black with white shirts and black hats. And to be honest at the time, it almost didn't feel like the same religion to me. I couldn't even understand the connection that we had to each other, and I never really got beyond thinking, this is a whole different world from where I'm growing up, and I would retreat back to New City to my comfort zone. I do want to point out that I really did have a wonderful childhood and my parents provided every academic and social opportunity for me. And when I talk to them about becoming observant, I'm really just trying to explain that I'm digging a little bit deeper on the very same religion that they raised me with. I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and I did a dual degree program where I studied psychology in the liberal arts school and I studied marketing in the Wharton school. At Penn, it was similar to New City in that many of the students were Jewish, but again, they were conservative or reformed, so it felt very comfortable to me who I was friends with. Interestingly, my roommate, my sophomore year, had a brother who became observant and was at Penn, and so he would come over and visit, which was my first real exposure to someone who was around my age who was living an observant lifestyle. But for sure, at that point in my life, when I was in college, I was not ready or open in any way to going to any of the events that they were having at Hillel or any of the Shabbos meals that I knew they were planning. It really was just so not on my radar that I was just really hanging out with my conservative Jewish friends and and going through my college experience. 
I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and ended up accepting a job at American Express in New York City. I had majored in marketing and felt, well, why not give it a shot at a Fortune 500 company? A few years into my time at American Express, one of my colleagues based in San Francisco went out on maternity leave, and my boss asked me to cover for her and live in San Francisco for five months. While I was there, they gave me an apartment to stay, a company car, spending money, and the job was not that demanding and I had unlimited free time. And I must say, from a secular perspective, it's probably the ultimate definition of freedom. I could literally do anything I wanted at any time of the day, and I had the money to do it. And I didn't understand until a few years later that what I was lacking was community and spirituality. And even though I had all the other ingredients to freedom, without those two, I was so lonely in San Francisco that I used to call my parents and just say, I don't know if I can do this any longer. I'm just feeling so alone out here. The loneliness was so overpowering that I just found myself thinking, maybe the issue here is I've chosen the wrong career. And if I was doing something else as a profession, I would feel more fulfilled and that would wipe out this feeling. And I wasn't yet at a point to understand that this was really more about the need to be part of a community and to bring spirituality into my life. After California, I came back to New York City, back to my job at American Express, and it turns out that there was a consultant doing a project for the head of recruitment and selection at American Express, who was one of my colleagues. This is the very person who thought of introducing me to my future wife named Carol. And we love the fact that the head of recruitment and selection for American Express recruited and selected us for each other. So we started dating, and this is in the spring of 2001. The American Express building in downtown New York City is literally right next door to the Twin Towers. So on September 11th, 2001, my future wife was living in New Jersey, I was living in Manhattan, and we always had a plan that we would meet up at Port Authority Bus Terminal where she would come in and we would take the train together downtown to the World Financial Center. On that particular day, she asked if we could stop for coffee at Pete's Coffee Shop. The man behind the counter was new and it took an extra 15 minutes to get our coffee. So we're delayed. We go downtown on the subway, and those who know that area, the train used to go directly under the Twin Towers. You would get out literally in the basement of the Twin Towers. As we got off the train, people were coming back towards us, which is really an unusual sight at 8.30 in the morning. And people were saying, there's a gunman in the building, there's a fire. People were yelling a lot of random things. All of us started scrambling towards one exit. Because I'd come to that area so many times, I knew about another exit on the other side. And I always tell people, the next time you're on an airplane or in a building, take two minutes and look around to know where all the exits are. My wife and I walked to a different exit, got out on the street, and literally standing under the Twin Towers, saw the second plane go into the tower. The two of us sprung into action and started thinking, where's the best place to go? 
I managed to see a taxi cab that was coming around the corner that already had people in it. I knocked on that taxi cab's window, which is something that you would never do in New York City on any other day except today. And the couple that was in there said, yeah, hop in. And the man driving that taxi, at this point we were literally 10 feet away from the towers, tells me, don't worry, anyone who gets a MyCab gets to their destination. If we had not been delayed by those 15 minutes, I can tell you likely neither of us would have survived 9-11. My wife and I got married the following year on 11-9 to commemorate what had happened on 9-11. Unfortunately, Carol's father, Victor, became sick. He was on dialysis. And we chose to buy a mother-daughter type house where he could live with us and we could help care for him. While he was living with us, he suggested to me that I should read one page a day in the Bible something I had never opened up in my entire life. And he told me every answer you need, every decision you ever need to make can be found in that book. And if you start today and just read a page a day, you'll start to understand what I'm talking about. Carol's father lived with us for about two years and then sadly succumbed to his kidney issues. That is the moment that the most impactful person in my life stepped into it. His name is Rabbi Benjamin Yudin. Fortunately for us, he stepped into action immediately, and he was the one who worked out having Carl's father's body go back to Israel so he could be buried at the very same cemetery as his parents. And I met him for the first time at the funeral, where he told me, nice to meet you, Jeff Cohen, but I do have to tell you that you're not permitted to go into this funeral. And I didn't understand what he was saying. In fact, my reaction was, I'm giving a keynote address at this funeral. Of all the people you're not going to let in, it shouldn't be me. What I didn't realize, of course, was the rules of being a Cohen. And he ended up giving me an opportunity to give the eulogy outside. So I was sort of out of the boundary of where a Cohen shouldn't be. And he made it work that I still got to deliver that eulogy in front of everyone, but in a way that was appropriate for a Cohen being around a dead body. A few days after the funeral, Rabbi Yudin paid a shiva visit at our house, and he innocently said to me, on Monday nights I have a Parsha class. You should consider coming. And I can tell you in full honesty that I just went out of curiosity, not because I thought I was on any kind of journey. It could have been a cooking class, it could have been a sports class, it could have been a history class, but Monday night I committed to just start going. And the very first class that I went to he said to me, Oh, Jeff, we could use an extra chumash. Can you get one from the sanctuary? I did not know what a chumash was, but I was not prepared to admit that. So I went into the sanctuary and brought this man one of every colored book that I could find. I handed this whole stack to him, and him being so exceptional at Kirov, he said to me, Booby, you saved me so much time by bringing all these books. I'm going to use every one of these in the class. And I know now that if he had said to me, you didn't get what I asked, if he had said anything like that and embarrassed me, I probably never would have gone back to that class again, and that probably would have been the end of a journey before it even started. I started going to Rabbi Yudin's class every Monday night. I like to say I was going religiously. As I continued going to that class, my oldest son was in that four or five year range, 
And Rabbi Yudin said, you know what? He's getting close to kindergarten. You should really take a tour of yeshiva. My wife and I went to the school, and this is the first time that we ever put a kippah on my son's head. He's four or five years old at the time. And we're looking at him and we're saying, you know what? It looks natural on his head. It looks like it belongs there. And he looks like he belongs in this school. We don't know why, but it looks like he has always worn a kippah. And that was the catalyst to us going back to Rabbi Yudin and saying, you know what? We want to take some of these steps to get closer to living an observant lifestyle. And he suggested that we keep a Shabbos for the first time. We had the opportunity to put our phones away and have a family day and eat a meal together. And at the end of the day, we said to my son, remember, he's only four or five years old. What did you think of your first Shabbos? And he said, mom and dad, this was my favorite day I ever had with you in my life. And at that age, he couldn't quite put it in perspective, but we realized that we were present. We weren't distracted with our phones. We weren't busy with work. We didn't have any electronics. We were just focused on him and enjoying the day. And him saying that to us was another indicator that we must be on the right track. Moving to Fairlawn so we could be part of a community eating kosher, sending the future kids we were going to have to yeshiva. And we just started checking these steps off one after another and building the foundation of living an observant life. If you go back to my view of the observant folks I was meeting in Muncie, when I wasn't observant in any way, and you asked me to sum up the people I was meeting then in one word, I would have said restrictive. Everything looked like you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't drive, you can't use your phone. It was all things you couldn't do. If you ask me today to sum up Shabbos in one word, I would say freedom. It's the one day a week that I get a break from all the stresses that are going on in my life and put the phone away and just have time with my community and my family. Everybody who lives in Fairlawn will tell you it is their favorite, most relaxing, most enjoyable, comfortable day of the week. And without Shabbos, they don't know how they would get through the week. If you're considering becoming observant, my first piece of advice is to take it slow. I have seen friends who try to take on everything at once, and it's almost like a rubber band. There's this pressure pulling you back to your old lifestyle, and if you make too many changes too quickly, it doesn't always work out. So I would suggest start slow by doing one thing. For me, it was going to a class. For some of my friends, it's starting to keep Shabbos or eating kosher. Taking on one thing, feeling good about it, and then looking to grow and build on it, that progression is a lot more likely to stick. I had the privilege of being president of Shomri Torah for the last three years. And now that those three years are done, I've had many conversations with my wife about how can we roll those 20 hours into the next thing. And that's really where the idea for the podcast came from, as I started to think about other people who have inspiring stories that they want to share, and wouldn't it be great if there was a way to tell these stories and disseminate them on a much grander scale? I could not be more excited to have the opportunity to interview other people who have been on their own journeys, because I love surrounding myself with growth-oriented people who are on a journey to something special and want to share their own stories so they can help other people who might be considering doing the same. So check in often wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll bring you more and more stories. Can't wait to share them with you. 
Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.